Hello, welcome to episode 245 of Three Bears and Movie. I'm Richard Laird and I'm with... Colin McKay. Hello. We are once again doing this by Zoom, Colin. Um, you've got a few technical issues tonight, so if you sound a little bit off, that is why. We'll try and get it fixed for next week, but we will persevere yeah, with the sound issues. Uh, absolutely. 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 I'll try, I'll try and sound really clear. Yes, shout loudly. <laughs> have your little body which, shout as loud as you possibly which can. Which we were just discussing, I can't yeah. do it. Good okay. at shouting, so no, I'm not, not going to shout. Probably best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what are you drinking tonight? Because ah, right, I'm going to you, you've, so... you've, you've been teased me with something interesting. I'll get the main away. I'll get the away first. My experience is very boring. Okay, okay. I've just went for a, a very standard blue moon. Blue, well, blue moon's never boring. Blue moon. Yeah, like... it's, we've had it before. We know it. We love it. We, yeah, we always yeah. enjoy it. But it's not. Oh. It's not a, a random, you know, sort of amazing named one that you've went with occasionally. It's sort of yes. it's very. It's a standard beer that we enjoy. It, it is, but blooming all week, it's never a bad drink. I mean, no, never, never, never. Yet to have one where I've got, I didn't enjoy that. So yes. I'm quite a bit jealous. Um, so I've got a bottle of, um, it's from the Windswept Brewing Company. Ooh. And this is called um, Werewolf. Ooh, uh, Werewolf, nice. It's a chili-infused dark ale. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I like the idea of it, but I like the name, but I'm, I'm not drinking anything with the words. Chili infused in dark on it. That uh, just seems... I'm, I'm going to try this. Um, so it's a, it's a six percent alcohol. So it's a wee bit of a bite. You might bite it. Um, and yeah, I think I've maybe had one of these before. And it's it's kind of weird because you drink it and then all of a sudden you get this kind of chili kit. Like Aye. about two seconds after, and your brain's like, hold on a minute, beer doesn't do that, and your brain has to try. See, I'm not a big man of who loves spice. I'm not one of these big people. There are a lot of guys um, who love spice. You know, they they they, they crave the, that heat rush, and the, the, and I'm not that guy. I, I much prefer something like savory and things like that rather than spicy. Anyway, how's it yeah. taste? Does it taste oh, spicy? It, it, it does. It, yeah, it does. It just went down there. And it's just got the aftertaste just falls to me. Ah, spice is it's actually quite. It's, it's quite a nice drink as well. Um, it tastes like. Um, it's got a kind of thickness, like a kind of creaminess of kind of McEwen's almost. Ah, right, okay. Like, like a kind of, you know, like a kind of ale, a champion ale, and McEwen's. It's got that kind of... Does it feel like something like you drink on a cold day? Like it'll warm you in a cold day? Um, oh, maybe actually. That, that's, yeah? Yeah, pro- it probably would. But um, it, it's just weird because you're drinking beer, but it's spicy, and your brain yeah. just doesn't know what to do with itself. It's like, I don't understand what's happening here. Just drink more and shut up, it's like it's kind of you get one that's very sweet as well. I think you ones that like so like add one recently it was like jammy dot your flavored one and much the same idea. So it's the it's the aftertaste that sort of surprises you a little bit. You're like, oh, that's I'm not expecting something yeah. that alcohol to be quite as sweet as that. And then it gets to the yeah. point of if it's too sweet, it's almost like cider. Yeah, yeah, because it becomes fucking dessert. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. An alcohol drink, but yeah, this is actually all right. Um, I don't think you would need more than one of them. I think I'm going to ask you that was the next question. Is it one you could? It's a novelty one. You wouldn't drink like three or four of them in a night. I, I, I think if you had more than one, I think the spice would start to get annoying. You just yeah. want to have a drink without having the fucking aftertaste. Just want the beer now. So yeah, I think any more than one, I think you get a bit, you know, more. It's basically you like running and guzzling milk any second now, just to try and cool your mouth I, down. I can. I'm. I'm very good with spices. Aye, um, okay. Um, I'm very, very good. Yeah, I've, I've done. Um, I've done the Carolina Reaper stuff that Iceland's managed that. So yeah, I'm quite confident with spice. 
I'm not. I, I know for a fact I'm definitely not. <laughs> uh, anyway, on to the cinema or into non-cinema viewing. Have you watched anything of interest at home this week? I know you've not watched anything at the cinema, so it'll be very much a one-sided conversation this week. Yes. Uh, anything uh, at home you've watched? Um, nothing, I'm afraid. I've had a very, very lean viewing week, just kind of working, coming home, doing stuff. Um, I had a birthday in there as well that they kind of took a day off me. Um, yes, happy birthday to all. Thank you. Uh, 21, again. 21, indeed. Um, <laughs> the, only, the only thing in TV that I've ever to watch is Midnight, and that was the one thing I said, I'm watching Midnight. So have you, have you seen episode four, five now, sorry? It's episode five. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on yeah. in it. I am very intrigued because only got one episode left. To tie this show. How to land this bad boy. It feels like they're going to, yeah. I don't know how they're going to land this and feel satisfying. I feel they've left a lot of shit in there. And it makes me even more slightly irritable that episode three happened. Because I feel like episode three was very much a filler episode. Didn't really do a lot. So I feel they've almost lost an episode there now they've got to try and land this in one episode. Unless yes, this yeah. last episode is going to be like an hour and a half long or something. I don't think it is. But or exceptionally well written. It'll have to be, yes. Definitely written, yeah, yeah. Um, th- this week's episode, um, massive respect to Oscar and his performance. And yes, again, excellent. Just, you know, it separates those two characters so so well. And, and Ethan Hawke, does Ethan Hawke ever not Impressed. It just does a solid job, doesn't it? No. He's a very, he's a very much an actor's actor. I think he, he's a man yeah. of the trade. You know, he he definitely he definitely knows what his job is, and I think he knows his job is to bring whatever he's got on the page to life. He's not maybe sometimes he's not one of these guys who's always looking for like sort of the deeper meaning behind it. He's looking for he, he yeah. want to, he's wanting to use what's there in order to bring life. To- it, it, it does. It, this character is, is horrible, but delightfully horrible. Do you know what I mean? It's just Hawks. Yeah, it's, it's Hawks mark all over it. It's him, you know, just gave the kind of life. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed this one a lot. Um, I'm really intrigued to see where it goes. I've got my ideas as to, to kind of how we're going to wrap it up and stuff like that. Um, but I've, I've noticed um, that's five episodes in, and I don't think. There's been a single reference to any other MCU vehicles in it at all, has it? Yeah. I'm trying to think, because someone else did message to me. I, I seem to recall at least someone saying about the sky splitting or something, maybe something along those lines, possibly. Maybe I'm mixing that up with Morbius, possibly. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's been very, very scant, if any, um, yeah. reference to. Because they even, they even say at one point, you're running about trying to be some sort of superhero. They don't even mention, they don't even say, you're not even running about trying to be like Iron Man or Thor yeah. or something. They don't even say that. They sort of, they very much skip over, you know, that idea. And also, this is all about Egyptian gods and things like that. So you think that would be yeah. natural territory from the brink to mention Thor? The in the Norse. Uh-huh. The but they don't. So yeah, they have always made a, a, con- a very conscious decision to sort of place this sort of almost outside the MCU world and it almost like it's an alternative reality. Like I'm I'm thinking of doing it because they're not really sure where this character's going yet. But I think that's part of the reason, yeah. I think it's definitely open, yeah. He just slots in wherever they want. I mean, Aye. But also yeah. with the whole Marvel thing, you know, we've got next couple of weeks we've got coming out the multiverse of madness. They can always just say that the um like Moon Knight and Blade and all that exist in a world that's sort of an offshoot, of, like a multiverse version that's like yeah. smash. So they can always bring them in if they want to. They don't have to. They don't have to tie it into the the single reality. Yeah. Right yeah, now. Six six, it yeah. They can bring it in whenever they want to bring it in. And also, there's also Isaac has not signed a contract for any further films or movies or anything like that. He's oh, okay. he's very much says it's a one and done until 
the offer is there that he wants to he can not turn down. So there's no like mm. sort of thing with like Hemsworth or you know Evans and all that who signed like you know multi multi film deals and mm. when he wanted to get Hemsworth back again, they had to get an even bigger multi film deal, you know, and big money. Yeah. They've not got that way. Isaac Isaac was signed on basically on the premise of these six episodes and he could like the script, like said the end. He's a he has a comic fan as well, obviously based on what he's been in before. Um, you know, he was in the X Men, he was in Star Wars. He has a he has a geek as well. He enjoys this world. Yeah. But he's not committing like long term to it. He's very much committing to um, you know, this one run. Because he's, I mean, he's in the Spider-Verse film as well. Oh yeah, he's here. Yeah, so he's he's in that as well. So he's yeah. definitely so he's but he's just he's not committing like full hog to like, you know, in the next 10 years of my life are going to be basically revolving around what Marvel want me to do. He's very much involved in the sense of I'll do this, bring it to life. If they want to use it again, you can come to me with an idea. And if we like yeah, the idea, no, yeah. we'll say yes or no to yeah. it. Which is smart. Yeah, I- I get the sense of um, almost relief when Chris Evans not looking at a contract because I, I don't know, you kind of feel like they felt maybe trapped by Marvel as well. You know, like kind of like you've got to, because obviously everything they've done was controlled by Marvel appearances that they were looking at. Yeah. And I don't know, there's almost a sense of relief I'm getting for the new interviews and stuff like that. You know, I kind of, I think there's a sense of with the, can you know, you know, those those contracts are amazing because obviously they're very well compensated for those contracts. Mm, but yeah. I think from a maybe a, an artistic point of view, you are very limited in what you can do. You know, if Marvel want you to shoot for eight months and they're paying you so much money, that only leaves that doesn't leave you much time to film anything else. And I think everything else revolves around what the Marvel guys want essentially because they're yeah. they're the, you're your main job essentially at that point yeah. in time. Um, that being said, who's come off of those films and done it? In, like sort of really interesting sense. Exactly, yeah. He, even Robert Downey Jr. He's he swung with Doolittle and missed wildly. Wildly, yeah. Chris Evans is doing stuff, but also some quite kind of low key stuff. You Not done. I mean, he's swinging with Buzz Lightyear, the new Buzz film. You know, the Lightyear yeah. film. Which I'm not um, convinced about. It's- I would say Hemsworth had the biggest try. Obviously, he he done the kind of the comedy. He done like Men in Black, and he done a few mm-hmm. things like that. So he's always tried to sort of maybe go a bit bigger and try to sort of recapture that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, who actually came out of it now? I mean, they're, they're obviously they're all big actors, but who's actually had a film uh-huh. since the Marvel films? He actually go right. I'm really looking forward to watching that. Like I can't think of like, Scarlett Johansson. I've wanted yeah. to I mean, I wanted to watch since. You know, uh, totally. 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 you know, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 uh, it seems like Marvel's a bit of a kind of. Poison Chalice, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Even Reynolds, not Reynolds, done a wee bit. He, actually, Reynolds, Reynolds done more interesting stuff when he was in the Marvel Universe. Then he, you know, Did you know, no, TV not as uh, Hawkeye, but he done like the David O. Russell films at the same time. You know, he done them in his, in his off days almost. You know, done making of films, so yeah, you maybe need yeah. something like that. So who knows? Yeah. Um, anything yeah. else of note you've watched? That that's it. My favorite is it's been out a very very sudden few me. That's pretty much all I've watched. Nothing else. Fair enough. Um, I'll mention one. <laughs> I'll mention one that's on Racket, and you should try and watch. It will, and in fact, you, I'm going to tell you to watch it. You won't watch it because I'm going to explain it to you. And you're not going to like it. But anyway, it's called Petit Maman. Uh, it's a French film. Uh, it's about a young. Uh, it's about a woman who loses her um, her mother, um, and a young daughter is there at the same time. And they end up they go into her the, the the mother's house or grandmother's house in order to sort of clear it out and get it ready for sale. Essentially, um, the young girl goes off into the forest. Um, well, she's in the forest. She basically meets someone in the forest, and it's another young girl, and they make sort of a friendship. Um, and it's all this um, world about you know they start discussing you know what it means to, to be growing up, to you know what it is to be life, and what it is to you know to be at that age and to have that connection with your family and things like that. And, and they see different connections with each other's family. 
as the film unfolds, it's not a spoiler, but basically who she's meeting is the younger version of her mother. Oh, right. it's just so, like a ghost story almost as well. It's a ghost story time loop, but it's not it's not done in any sort of science sci-fi way. It's just happened. She happens in the forest and a young girl's there and they, they they have a friendship and no one really picks up on it, but you, you, they, it's definitely very much there. So just this really mm-hmm. sweet, well done, touching movie that, that, that sort of touches on a lot of stuff about childhood and loss and grief and you know what it means to, to be a child and to be a parent of a child who's you know and what your your dreams as a child mean as you're an adult and how you have to put them aside sometimes and she starts to see that in her mother. It's, it's just a very sweet, well-done film. 72 minutes long, just moves along beautifully, um, wonderfully shot. It's just it's, it's just one of those kind of... It's a, I try to put, I try to put, it's damning with fame praise, but it's a very nice film. It's a very involving film, and I, I took a lot mm-hmm. from it. I, I very much enjoyed I it. French cinema can be very reflective at times. Yes. Right. You know, you know, it opens the brain a bit and... <laughs> Yeah, they're not—they're not really tied to the Hollywood tropes a lot of the time. You know, this is a Hollywood yeah. film. They'd have to find a, be a big flashy light show to explain how she goes back in time and how she meets yeah. them and all that kind of stuff. But this didn't need that. It just—you just, just accept that that's her mum. She's talking with her mum. There's no sort of like, oh, if you, you know, no butterfly effect, no shit going on and that. It's just sort of just yeah. this is. What would you say if you talk to your parents at that age? You know, if you were that same age as your parents, you yeah. would talk to them. You know, when you were maybe she's in the film, she's about eight or nine, I think. But if you, you were like fifteen. Talk- you could talk to my dad at 15. What were you talking about? You said to him, what were you talking about? Yeah. But it's, it's one of those, it's, it's, a, it's a question. Yeah. It's, a, it's a question you need to look at. So, um, yeah. I very much, it's on Rakuten. You get it for like, you can rent it for $4.99 or something like that. It's definitely worth a wee rent if you're looking for a, a very quick, you know, very involving, very sweet movie to watch. Um, you are such a big artist. <laughs> I've heard good things. I think, I think it may be up for an Oscar as well for best like French, best um, foreign film and things like that. That's what put it on my But I've heard also great reviews about it. And the great reviews I heard did, certainly did not um, disappoint. Um, but on from that, we'll go to some cinema viewing. So I know you've not seen much of the cinema, but I'll run over these very quickly. The first one is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, uh, directed by Tom Gormican, who did a film called That Awkward Moment that had, I think, Zac Efron in it. Um, or somebody of that ilk. I, I can't remember really seeing it, but I think I did, but I can't remember it. This film's very different. This, as I said, it's very meta. It's um, Nicholas Cage, or Nick Cage, as we know him in this film, um, who's an actor in Hollywood. So I've had all the big hits, the ones we all know, The Rock, you know, Con Air, everything. Yeah. Uh, and he's sort of hitting on kind of harder times. He's, he's not living at home. He's, he's divorcing his wife, or he's divorced his wife. He's living in a hotel, racking up massive bills on it, and essentially gets an offer. Um, to go out to Mallorca, um, to the house of this super fan, to be there for a birthday party, he'll get paid a million dollars to do that. When he's there, an espionage plot kicks off where the person he's staying with may or may not be a, a drug dealer and, and um, gun runner, um, and he's recruited by CIA in order to try and uncover this um this criminal mastermind. Shout back to so yes, yeah, so Nicholas Cage playing Nicholas Cage, ably assisted by not only um, someone else in the film, but also by a sort of he sees a younger version of himself who helps him, and it's um, Will at Heart um, Nicholas Cage. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's, right. it's early nineties Nick Cage who is <laughs> very playfully um, credited as um, Nicholas Cop- uh, Nicholas Coppola in the credits. Cool. Which I thought was quite sweet. Yeah, it's very sweet. Um, so 
How does that? Did they de-age him or? Yeah, de-aged. Yeah. yeah, it does. It looks good. Looks good. Okay. Um, and so you get Nicholas Cage playing Nicholas Cage. You've got uh, <coughs> Pedro Pascal playing the um, the billionaire guy who rents him for the week. Um, you get Shannon Horgan who plays his ex-wife, Nicholas Cage's ex-wife. Tiffany Harris plays our CIA agent. Um, Neil Patrick Harris plays Nick Cage's agent in it. And Lily Moshin plays the daughter of um, Nicholas Cage, who I don't know, but she is the daughter of Kate Beckinsale and Martin Sheen. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's that's Yeah, she's definitely got her mother's looks as opposed to her dad's looks. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not a bad looking. No, he does. He a handsome man, but yeah, Kate Beckinsale yeah. is a very pretty woman, you know. So she's definitely yeah. got the mum's side of the family. Um, sure. So, um, just before you kick off, so I've, I've looked at a few reviews on this one, and it's the, the panda so far. Um, so now that I know that, what do you think? This was not what I expected. Um, and the I think many people going into this film expecting, you know, like a full on cage thon cage madness, you know. Yeah. And it's not, it's it's quite a restrained performance from Cage when he's in the sort of present day Cage. There is his, his um, world at heart, Nicholas Cage, that's a bit more crazy, but he's not in it very much, only a few key scenes. It's, it's a much more restrained sort of, he's almost a bit like, not quite the same, but he's almost a bit like Rick Dalton in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. The, the yeah. DiCaprio character sort of, yeah. he's not Nicholas Cage at the height of his power, he's Nicholas Cage on the the um, decline almost, you know, they keep saying a line in it, which um, was it they keep saying, and then we'll be back, not that we ever went anywhere in the first place. I'm like, of course not. But, you know, that is that kind of thing, you know, it's like you're never, you're not really back. Um, but it's much more like adaptation style, Cage is very restrained. It's sort of, there's wee moments, but mostly it's sort of very, I would say playing it not quite pig Cage, and it's definitely not like, you know, um, you know, Connie a face-off cage. Yeah. It's it's a it's a structured, well done performance. He is at times playing up to the sort of the idea of, of himself being a bit crazy yeah. or a bit sort of having wild kind of thoughts, but he's not run about mad. It's not the it's not the you know Nick Clay, Nick Cage on Terry Wogan doing tumbles and all yeah. that kind of shit. It's not that Nicholas Cage. So I actually I actually enjoyed that. I was actually it feels to, for me that Cage is in on the joke and he's in on the premise and it's not yeah. the audience making fun of Cage. He's more yeah playing with their expectations of him, yeah. which I thought worked better than us laughing no, at Nicolas Cage. I think he definitely gets where, where his place is in kind of, you know, the, the kind of film industry. I mean, you look at even things like but the Netflix one they did in the history of swearing. Yes. And you know, he presented that with, in a very kind of knowing way so, I mean, as well. So, yeah, I, th- I think he, he definitely kind of knows. He's called in on it, yeah. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. The plot moves pretty quick, so actually it feels like a decent thriller. Um, but it does feel like a couple of times there's beats and miss. You kind of jump a little bit too far forward at times and you feel like, oh, no, I feel like I've missed a wee stage here. Mm-hmm. Um, the espionage plot is the least interesting part of the movie. That sort of that doesn't really... that It's there, they power it along. And it does get very meta when they, when him and his um, partner, Pedro Pascal, are discussing what they would do in a movie and they start talking about an espionage plot in it and that's what drives the plot forward. So it gets very meta in that respect, you know. Mm. Um, the absolute strength of this movie is honestly in the Cage-Pascal double act. They work amazingly off each other. It's 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 just it's a genuine buddy cop movie almost in that respect and how it's two guys of a certain age 
sort of finding this completely unusual friendship with each other. Mm-hmm. And they seem to get each other in a big, bad way. And it's just sort of seen them very quickly realise they're going to be best friends forever, almost. You know, it's sort of, See, it's, how's I, that feel? A few reviews I read said Pascal just wasn't funny at all. He doesn't seem to get his timings off. Disagree. Disagree entirely. Yeah. I think it works cool. entirely. Cool. Um, there are some really magnificently funny moments in it. There's a fantastic Paddington 2 bit in it that is genuinely one of the most fucking heartwarming things I've seen in cinema for a long time. Like, oh. that, Paddington 2 is a major touchstone in this film, which, as yes. a major oh, yes. fan of Paddington 2, I was 100% behind, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's it's very enjoyable. Um, there is some ideas that do need a bit more fleshed out. You know, I like the idea of him talking to other versions of himself was pretty cool. I liked that idea of it. Um but it never really bit fleshed out like sort of I, I wasn't really sure if is it all he's heard is he's seen it and it's sort of he's schizophrenic in that respect, which that would put a different spin on it a little bit. You know, if he's yeah, seen the person, it feels like he reacts to the quite, person. Quite dark. Uh-huh. At that point, yeah. Um they could have done more with the espionage plot and try and flesh out a little bit to do something with it. But I enjoyed it for it for like a hundred minutes in the cinema. It's a shit ton of fun. I laughed a fair bit at it. Um and yeah, I just enjoyed it. It's Kind of a bit like a lot of Nicolas Cage stuff now, a bit forgettable after. Like, I'm not sitting there, like, sort of pondering it in any real way. I'm like, like Pig, I did ponder. Mandy, I pondered. You know, yeah. Colour it, color it of Space, I color, of, I color it of Space. I really, color that, purple, that, one. I, that one, yeah. it really got in my head. This one's much more on the end of, you enjoy it, it's fun, it's definitely, it's definitely a kind of, it's an, a really interesting take on the idea. But I did find myself kind of, like, not really remember much about it. A day after, it didn't really linger yeah. too long in my brain. But for what it was, when I was watching it. It's a very fun, enjoyable hundred minutes of, film, of cinema, and I saw it on the biggest fucking screen I can imagine, you like proper super screen was, size. Uh, was there an audience here for it? Or? <coughs> we went and saw it quite early in the day. I think no Sunday. We we saw it on a Sunday, um, quite early on a Sunday, and also it was like yeah. the kilt walk in Glasgow. So I think that most of the city was in desert, so it was quite quiet. Um, but there was a decent wee crowd in, but not. Not a Marvel crowd in any, any stretch of imagination, no. but sure. um, enough people, no, I, yeah. I definitely want to see because we're, we're both like, massive fans of Cage. Jim. We do we do have an appreciation for him, so it's one one that I want to get to see in a role next week. I think. Yes, I think everything that's out this week is still out. Um, you know, there's not a lot out, so we'll discuss that later on. Um, I would give it a very solid seven out of ten. Nice, nice, well deserved, Mister Cage. Yeah. Yes, I enjoyed it. I on from that, one that is screening at your art house cinemas of note, um, and this is a film called Benedetta. Have you heard of Benedetta? No. No? Okay, directed by Mr. Paul Verhoeven. Oh, all right, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> we're, on a, we're on an interesting road now. Um, yeah, also yeah. Robo, Robocop, Starship Troopers, L recently as well, which I very I much enjoyed. Well, not enjoyed, but I've definitely watched and found a lot of a lot in it, but not a fun movie by any stretch of imagination, L. Um Benedetta is, to put it frankly, the lesbian nun movie, Colin. That is what this film is. Is that the tagline? That is essentially the tagline, sir. <laughs> um, the poster has a nipple on it. That tells you how much this, this, this film is going for. Um, <laughs> so this is a, it's set in the 17th century, and it is about this woman, a very pious woman, who believes very much a religious woman wants to be a nun and becomes a nun. Um, she believes that she is a, the, the, the bride of Christ, as nuns refer them to themselves as. She believes that Jesus will save her and he she is he that who she is wed to and who she is married to. Um actually maybe in her mid twenties, maybe uh, mid twenties, um another 
woman comes into the convent, she's she's fleeing a, a sort of um, a bad home situation where her father is abusing her. Um, and these two women strike up a friendship that becomes much more than a friendship in the in the convent. Um, so it's a it's a film that's sort of dealing with the the piousness of what Catholicism is, mixed with you know what it means to f- be in love with someone and feel infatuation for someone. At the same time, she is also presenting herself as a miracle because she's getting the stigmata as well and she's the and she's sort of the reason why the town is not being hit by plague she's the reason for it and um, because god would not god would not kill one of its favored angels essentially yeah. um, and at the same time you've got essentially 17th century essentially the spanish inquisitions men as well and they're trying yeah. to root out any sort of you know misdemeanor at any point in the church you know be it sex, anything is the main one, obviously, and um, they're looking for that. So it's a very interesting, a lot going on in the film. But really, the, the core of it is these two women finding each other, um, and then, you know, the relationship that comes from that, and also the problems that relationship causes in both their lives, you know, with the, um, you know, with the, the church, you know, and, and this dichotomy, which I've always found interesting, because I was raised Catholic, and it's this dichotomy between how can a priest or a nun tell you what love is and what a marriage is? When they don't experience it themselves, they, they can't. Yeah, they, they so, don't know what it is. Yeah, but I guess they, they would just say, I'm, "I love them, I'm married to God." Aye, that's that's the idea. But this idea of like, how can you? Why would this woman? Why would these women want to love each other and want to embrace that love? Make them any different from, you know, make them any less of a, one of God's children. You know, make them any less of yeah. devoted to God in that respect. You know, this idea of you can only vote to one thing. So, very interesting premise. And um, like I said, right by Paul Verhoeven. Um, in the film, you got Virgin Ephra. She plays uh, this. She plays Benedetta. Uh, Charlotte Rampling plays the sort of head nun. And you got like Charlotte Rampling. Yep, she's particularly nasty in this, to be honest. Um, she, she can is, be. She can. She's a, a right kind of a character when she puts up mind to it. She plays. She's plays some horrible. Yeah, she can get she can get very nasty very quickly. Yeah. Uh, also got Daphne Pataria, she plays the, the other nun of, of note. Uh, Lambert Wilson and Olivia Rabardino is the other one. So it's a so he's Dutch. This is set in France, but it's Italian money, I think, or possibly around. I can't remember, but it's definitely is it, t- is it English subtitled? Subtitled. Yes. So that's how you can get away with watching it because it's classy. You know, if you're not watching <laughs> filth, you're watching classy filth, you know. <laughs> so so my experience of Verhoeven is he's somebody he, he's quite visionary, but he does violence quite well. Um and satire quite well as well. So well see, this is the thing about this is the thing about him. Because I remember listening, I don't know how much Verhoeven just is fucking with us all because I saw an interview of him talking about Starship Trippers, right? Yeah. Which we all read as a satire. He's like that. He's taking the piss. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he realised he was taking the piss. I think so. I think he was like fucking dead set. Um, it feels like that. But then he might be. He might be playing. He might be just again messing with us again. You know, it's sort of that idea. Like, yeah. and this is much the same. There's moments in this that are genuinely laugh out loud funny. You know, there's a yeah. bit of Jesus on a horse with a sword taking out people at one point. You know, it's like, and it's, it's nothing if not utterly ridiculous and stupid and, and so funny to see, but it's played very straight. And I'm not sure if Verhoeven gets the joke of what that is, you know? So it's, but if he does, he's very funny and it's very well done. Yeah, it's a bit done. like, um, not Zemeckis, the one who done um, Moonfall. Um, 
Emmerich. Yeah, Roland yeah. Emmerich. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. if, if Roland Emmerich's in on the joke and what he's doing sometimes, it's very funny. If he's not, it's almost a bit sadder. He's like, oh, you think you're being serious, yeah, but in yeah. reality, you're not. Yeah. You're not. Everyone's laughing but you. Uh, kind of thing. Like yeah. Michael Bay, for yeah. example, does it as well. Michael Bay, that's Six Underground that in Transformers with Michael Bay not in on the joke. Whereas yeah. I think on Ambulance, he's a little bit more understanding of what the joke is a little bit. He's kind of getting it, yeah. 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 And what, why are they greenlighting these directors if they're not getting... <laughs> it's very strange, but the film, the compelling, it's very compelling, and I found it very watchable. Um, yeah. It's, it is the worst parts of Catholicism, you know, it's got all the insurrection stuff, it's got all the, you know, the, the um, you know, the abuse and everything like that in it, um, yeah. but, in a, but in a sexy way, um, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> very conflicting. Much like my Catholic upbringing, Colin, very conflicting watching this. This, we both, this is both, this where Mel Gibson went wrong. They, they, yeah. They well, he's Dutch Catholic. He, he's Dutch Catholic. That's slightly different. That's like a very, that's like even more extreme made, version. You should have made it sexier when Jim Cavanaugh yeah. get his flesh Make it sexy. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I'm both <laughs> terrified and turned on. It was it was very it was very strange. It was very strange. Very um, <laughs> that being said, very strong like committed performances from the two women at the centre of it because it, it, what they do in it. It requires a lot of faith in the director that he's not going to make them look silly and not, importantly, mm. make them just look like sort of essentially porn star sex objects. It is done with a lot less exploitation than I th- sort of thought it would be based on the director and based on... You were hoping for... No, no, not at all. Like, <laughs> not at all. Because um, <laughs> there's a point where... Because if, like, if you watch... Come listen to a podcast now all about sort of like the erotic film of the 80s. It's um, done by... Mm. The, you must remember this, Karina uh, Longworth. Yeah, yeah, and there yeah. is a certain point in me watching, you feel a little bit icky watching some of those films. And you go, yeah, it just, yeah. this, this never felt icky. It, it genuinely felt when you see them together that it was, it was lustful and it was, it was very sexy, but it was also, it felt, and it was emotional, you know? Um, so relevant it feel, as well, I guess relevance is the big part. Uh-huh. Of it's, it's relevant to other than just done because you can. Do you know I mean, it's always going to. Yeah. And I think you definitely could have made this a lot more exploitative than if you wanted to. And probably mm-hmm. maybe I found even more of an audience, possibly, if you did. But I think it's there is the moments that are graphic and it are like it's not porn, but there is definitely a graphicness to it. And it's definitely, yeah. it's not, it, it, it lingers longer than you probably would expect it to in a film. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to the point where if you're watching in a, in a cinema, you may feel a little bit <laughs> like you yeah, may be. and you move about in your seat. Right. But the difference is when I think you were in this film, no, like an for whereas like, me and you hadn't seen Gemma Bofrey, for example. Yeah, yeah. That was just awkward, you know, because we had no idea what was yeah. coming. <laughs> Literally, yeah. no idea what was yeah. coming. You know? It was good, though. It was, very, it, was, it was a wonderful movie, but it was when you're the only person in the cinema under 40, you know, and it's and everyone's at <laughs> the average age of about 90, you feel like a bit strange sitting there. Um, <laughs> Which, but this, I genuinely thought it was a very, it was a very well done film. It does suffer from budget a little bit. You can, t- pretty towards the end, when they're trying to go a bit bigger with the story, it definitely, you can see the budget. And yeah, I've pretty much seen the same four extras being moved around about 20 times. So you definitely see there is a mm-hmm. definite, it's European budget and it's probably not a big budget. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely the suffering of that. But for what it is, I think people may weren't expecting one thing, you know, the, like it has been tagged in the old festival as like the sexy nun film, which maybe people were expecting, you know, sort of erotic film aspect, but actually it's got a lot of emotional core to it. And genuinely you do feel for these two two women. And the both performances, particularly the woman who plays Benedetta, she gives a performance that is that's got a lot to it because she's like possessed in some way, and then she's sort of like, you know, embracing Christ, and then she sort of and she 
gets across the idea that she is in love with this woman. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a nuanced performance that maybe will get lost in the very lazy tagline that I was using as well of, you know, lesbian yeah. nun film. Do you think it'll open people's eyes as well, or like the opposite, people going to see the sexy nun film and then not come out being like... That would be the hope. That would yeah. be the hope yeah. that you maybe walk into thinking you need one thing, and because the, 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 the sex scenes in it maybe take up about, and most of it, 10 minutes in the middle of it. Other than that, it's yeah. very much, it's not that. Yeah. You know, so it's not like it's it's just constantly that, you know, so it's definitely, it's not like, it's not a manual, for example, it's not that kind yeah. of movie, you know, yeah. or anything like that. It's, it's very much the, the, the story of who this woman's like possession and her, um, like sort of devotion to Christ is sort of like definitely the main point of main focal point of the story that just happens to involve some wooden Virgin Mary dildo action, you know, just didn't really respect myself to say. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's not. Well, the next film matched the seven. Um, well, we don't normally talk about this, but we are going to do a film we did last week again because I didn't see it last week and I think you wanted to talk about it, okay? Um, so it's very rare we do a film twice in two weeks. Very, you know, we don't often talk about the same film twice in a row, but we'll do it for this occasion um, with good reason. And um, This one's called The Northman, directed by Robert Eggers, yeah. who obviously did The Witch and The Lighthouse. Um, plot of this film is there is a young man, who, a young like, sort of, uh, prince, who's going to be the heir to the throne of fictional area. I think it's at that point, I think it's up north in Scotland, the Orkney films. It feels like that, doesn't it? It does feel a bit like yeah. that, yeah, sort of like that. Yeah. So maybe Norway, you know, Norway, anyway, whatever it is. Um, yeah. Anyway, his father is killed by his uncle and then he flees, um, yeah. basically, and then joins sort of like berserkers, essentially. Um, and he yeah. then becomes like a sort of roving mercenary, going from town to town, just raping, pillaging and killing. Yeah, generally. Causing mayhem. Bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, in one of these um, sort of Viking raids, he picks up the scent essentially that of um, his uncle has been de- de- deposed from his his yeah. throne, um, and is now living in sort of isolation on a small island. And he sort of he takes upon himself at this point to get go to that island and wreak a bloody revenge, as um, um, Tarantino yeah. might put it. Um, and that's where the film sort of goes with it's him on that path of revenge to to kill his own uncle. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Uh, yep, you know. Uh, so I think Alexander Skarsgård, he plays this, the Northman, essentially. Anya Taylor-Joy plays like a, the White Witch, essentially. She's, um, Willem Dafoe plays the kind of jester, like sort of witch, um, witch doctor type. Yeah, he's got a kind of jewel. Jewel, yeah. Only yeah. very briefly. Yeah, yeah Naila Rogue lasts for more than... Yeah, Ethan Hawke plays um, Skarsgård's father. Um, Nicole Kidman plays Skarsgård's mother. She has now played his mother and his wife in different films. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay. If you look at that, we play siblings at some point just to round it all off. Um, and Bjork pops up as a sort of vision soothsayer type woman, I would say. Yeah, she she's, um, plays Bang as well. Yes, yeah, plays Bang as well. He plays the uncle. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what did you what did you think of it? Give me your thoughts because I kind of loved it. I I I was investing this very heavily, very quickly. Um, it's phenomenal visually and audibly. It is an absolute treat. It's so it's so involving from the very moment you see it. Like everything about it is just it's yeah. it's what's the word? It, it's like you feel like you're watching something that shouldn't be made but has been made. You know, it sort of feels special. It feels like 
there's so much invested in this when this guy's put this on. It, there's no short or moment in this film that's wasted. Every everything oh, no, there is there for a, a purpose. It's for a purpose, and every shot as well is just carefully mapped out. Do you know what I mean? Like, ah. Whatever's in his head, you know, it, it, it's put on screen, yeah, as you imagine he wants it. Yeah. It has to be this and that way. Skarsgård, um, I've, I've never been a huge fan of him. I always think he's a lot, he's a very pretty good looking man. Yeah. Wasn't a huge fan of Intruber. I thought he just sort of played up the pretty boy in that. He'd done a couple of comedies that I wasn't really into. Didn't really get his vibe. He didn't really seem to know the comedy. But in this, he is brilliant. He is like an absolute hulking mass of aggression. And it's the way he holds himself. See the way he like, hunches yeah. his shoulders forward? Like yeah. he's just, at any moment, he's primed to kill someone. He's you know. going to explode. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I was saying that last week. Um, he's, he's an absolute monster. Like, I mean, just sheer bulk alone in science. Yeah. The, the man is fucking hell. I mean, he puts all these Marvel guys to shame. Do you know what I mean? Oh, just huge. Absolutely huge. You know I mean, I, was, I think I was saying last week, it's almost like the big team had, had CGI'd his body. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, it's just so fucking. <laughs> imposing and, and ripped and shredded and you know it does give you a sense of you know fucking fear do you know, when you see him go into berserker mode and you're like jesus you know that that's that's what it's been like it's just fucking insane like the scene in the trailer where he catches a spear and throws it back, that doesn't even look difficult for him that's what that's how big yeah, that, that looks like totally. that looks like you catching a football and and i like the way they've done the whole you know, it's like they've kind of done it before, they're like the raid and Batman and stuff like that. The whole fight, trailer, just you know, you just you're going forward, you know, you just you, your eyes locked in, and whatever's in your way is fucking getting mowed down. And they do that a lot in this. I mean, it's just like this pure fucking visceral focus, anything that's in that, that line is Aye. just getting. But what I liked about it as well was the fights in it. They're not like you get Hollywood fights where it's like extended, like you know, sword battles that go for like five, no. ten minutes. It's like a fight in that era was like it was done quickly. It was like you oh, know, it was yeah, just yeah. even the main, even the big fight at the end, the sort of like the sort of um, the climactic one-on-one man-on-man mm. fight. It's very brief. You know, you only talk maybe yeah, about three or four it, minutes it, on camera. It's not a lot. Not all at all. It is over there. So because you're like, oh, fuck, you know, you done it. You know, yeah, it. there's no. They're, uh, they're not dragging it out for like dramatic effect. This is how it was. People just they, they fought to kill, and that's it. And then yeah. the first of all, you don't you don't give a man half a chance to get his sword back. If you see a chance, oh, totally, you absolutely right. take it. And, and it does it all the way through the movie. It is, it's quite brutal. So, I mean, yeah. Not, not gratuitously so. Well, that's, what I was saying, that's what I was saying to Joe was walked out. I said, see, for that film that was exceptionally, you know, violent, there's not mm. a lot of actual violence on screen. There's a lot of cutaways and you see a lot of headbutts yeah. and punches and there's a couple of moments, like the bit when he stabs a guy with a no nose in the face, yeah. that was particularly brutal. Um, yeah. And there's a couple of moments when it is, there's, but it's not as sort of, it's definitely not reveling in the violence. The violence is something that oh. this world was a violent world it, and it has to portray that. Of, yeah, exactly. It's a part of the era, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, shit like that fucking happened all too often, probably, and, and, and it captured up. Um, so, so last week, um, my, my, my kind of only negative on this film was Nicole Kidman. Um, no, I disagree. I think she's given something. Her. I think she's doing something. She is a woman who's on the edge of madness, and I, I absolutely bought it. I, I don't get it at all. Thank you. I'm, I'm really kind of not feeling her at all just now. I've seen her a few times in the past couple of years, and I'm getting more and more frustrated. I'm like, you know, there's more to your miss that you can do there. And I'm just so disappointed with her. And she keeps. I liked her. I, did, I didn't mind her. I liked her. 
Um, yeah. I thought Anya Taylor Joy was also excellent in the scene she had. She she's got a real presence on camera as well, um, yeah. as you expect. Um, I would say um, Ethan Hawke and Defoe don't really have a lot of screen time. They're literally in maybe a couple of scenes, but they obviously because of Ethan Hawke and Willem Defoe, they own it in every sense. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, who's on there? And Chris <laughs> Pine, I thought was really still looking. He brought he he played the uncle, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He brings a lot of pathos to the uncle because, like, he, he's not an out and out baddie. You feel like he is just a baddie. There's there's yeah. twists and turns in that, that, that change that anyway. But yeah. even when you're watching it, you sort of go, "He's not." It doesn't seem like you're, you know, your mustache twirling evil fucker. You know, he does yeah. insanely evil stuff in it, but yeah. no more evil than say something that Skarsgård's doing it as well, yeah. or is, so, or is so, privy to so, as well. You know. And then halfway through, when it does kind of put things and give you some perspective, then. It makes more sense. Uh-huh. Again, yeah. And you do find yourself um, like wondering who you're rooting for in, in many ways, you know, who is the baddie in this story, you know? Yeah, I got I got to that point as well where I wasn't sure anymore. I was like, like hold, hold on a minute. It's, um, yeah. I don't know if this is how I wanted to go. Obviously, it was going to go that way. But, oh, yeah. yeah. It's definitely, um, I would say, Edgar's most accessible film. Like, I can imagine oh, people, I can sure. imagine my mum and dad watching this. I could imagine them watching The Lighthouse or The Witch. I feel they would not be happy, they wouldn't buy into that. Particularly the lighthouse, but I think I can imagine much because this is you can pitch this almost as gladiator, you can almost push it that, yeah. It's got the same kind of it's you know, a man after revenge, much like gladiator, or even push it as like a last duel type film, you know, it's sort of it's got that kind of yeah. feel to it. So it's definitely his most sort of accessible by general audience. And I think, I think from what I've read, that caused a bit of issue with him because obviously. He got like a sixty million pound budget for it, so he did, he wasn't allowed to do what the fuck he wanted. He had to like sort of get to some sort of studio, um, uh, what's the word? Studio interference, and that kind of caused a lot of problem um, when he was doing it. But I think what he has got is possibly the most accessible Robert Eggers film you could probably find. Today, there's only three in, so it's kind of scary as to. Those the three films that he's made are, are all clear and on their own merits are, are amazing. And it's yeah. just frightening to think where this guy's going to go. Um, he's younger only, than me. Yeah, and, and but I feel like he's still <coughs> got what I can. I want to say, yeah, I'm going to say breakthrough because I think as of yet his films are so obscure that, that, that they're not mainstream. Um, no, I agree. I think Northman has came close. I don't think the audience has been there enough for it to be, to be yeah. past a breakthrough. So I think he's got it in him, but like a, yeah. an actual, you know, capture all mainstream movie, I think it's there. And I think he, he's kind of getting towards that. And I think when it lands, it's going to be fucking frightening. Really good. Interesting to see what his breakthrough is, because I don't know what you can go... I think he, he wants to do a remake of Nosferatu. Oh, they've done that recently, though, didn't they? What, 10, 15 years ago, with Ron Defoe playing... Like, did he not play him? He played him kind of, but you actually want someone to play the actual vampire. Yeah, yeah. That'd be interesting, yeah. Be interesting, yeah. yeah. If it's, in, it's safe hands, if he's going yeah. to do that, so, I mean, he definitely knows what he's doing. But um, no, I, I'm same as you. I, I adored the film. I just, Kidman was the only thing that I just couldn't get around the film. Um, I, I, I don't know. Just, yeah, I didn't mind Kidman. Um, but yeah, overall, it was that same as you. So it's like everything in it was there for. A reason it wasn't, you know, there, there was nothing random in that, that whole film, every single thing. You know, if you see a chicken walking past, that chicken's been told, go oh, no. Walk past, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing left a chance at all. Yeah. So, so good. Um, I want to see it again because I was saying to you, um, when I seen it, I had a real kind of bit of bother. 
Um, it seemed very muted. Did you find that? No, or? I think that was probably a problem with your cinema because then the uh, view was fine. So, yeah. I had no issue with the dialogue yeah. whatsoever. Right, cool. So probably not where you watched it. But I give it a very solid. Um, I give it a very solid ten out of ten. Ten. Put the bag of eight or nine. Yeah, nine. Yeah. Yeah, eight or nine. Yeah. Kidding for me, but she doesn't. Um, I seen her. The, the, the last thing I seen her in before this was that Nine Perfect Strangers. Was in that as well. Uh-huh. And she was doing like a really dodgy Russian accent and stuff like that. And again, in that, I was just like, no, I'm, I'm not liking what you're doing with the character. I'm not doing much to impress. There's a film she's in on Amazon just now, um, which she plays um, Lucille Ball. You got to tell me about this. She which. She doesn't look anything like Lucille Ball, so get over that fact that, that you don't have to look at someone to do a film about them. Um, yeah. It's called Being the Ricardos, and she is excellent. She is genuinely, she gets the character of who Lucille Ball is. She gets the sort of the energy Lucille Ball has, not only on screen, but who she was mm-hmm. off camera. When she, was, she wasn't, she's definitely not a shrinking violet off camera either. Yeah. You know, she, she held her own in every in every possible sense. So, and she gets that part across about her. So I would definitely see, if you want to see a good Nicole Kidman performance of late, um, being the Ricardos, I very much enjoyed. I thought it was excellent. I thought she was excellent. In it. See, I think that was part of the frustration is she's Nicole Kidman, but I mean, for a reason. I mean, yeah. The name carries weight because she can. She can fucking, you know, she can deliver lines at nobody's business, um, you know, Oscar nominations, all sorts. So she, she can totally bring the A game every time. But, you know, I just feel like recently she's just not, she's not elevated herself to feel what she could be. Oh, fair enough. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed on this. Um, but that is pretty much us for this week. There is um, not a lot out next week either, because I'm assuming uh, we don't like to denigrate any film. You know, we don't like to be bad to any film, but I do not think you or me will go and see Downtown Abbey 2. I have no interest in that. I am much the same. I have never watched an episode and I'm never, I'm never going. No, it's a phenomenon that has passed me by, so I'm, unfor- I'm yeah. not going to go missing that. Um, Oh, people, anyone who loves it, by all means, go and enjoy your franchise. You enjoy, it's just not my cup of tea. Not my cup of tea. And I will go and see a lot of things that are not my cup of tea, but that one I just don't think I'm going to like at all. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, still out in the cinema, which I will, well, I will go and try and see, and so we can talk about it next week, is Operation Mincemeat, you know, for what to keep the British end up. That is still out in the cinema, so I'm going to go and see that. Um, yeah. Other than that, there's really not much out. Everything's getting cleared because um, on Thursday, Friday, I think it is, um, the, the doctor arrives. Mm. So just um, going to chew up all the screens for about six weeks. Exactly. Like. So um, yeah. So Operation Mincemeat is still out. If we go see Operation Mincemeat, we can talk about that next week, and we'll try and find some stuff on streaming. That will. I will make much more of a, a concentrated effort to actually watch some fucking stuff for the movie podcast. That's that that you're on. Yes. Um, as we tell where we can find us, Colin. Uh, number three beers the movie on every social media site you can think of, apart from TikTok. Um, Gmail, Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're even on Facebook, we're on them all. Just type in yeah. number three, type in beers, and you'll see, you'll see really a us in the pictures. What? Handsome, handsome, a handsome pair, um, So look us up, give us some likes, and follow us all that all of you for the nonsense. Uh, I've been calling, you've been Richard, and you've been Three Beers in a Movie.